Hey, what's good, jazz fans? Welcome to Jabber Jazz, where we dive into Utah jazz basketball from an analytical emphasis and without any of the ads that keep from your listening experience. I'm your host, Adam Bushman. You can find me on Twitter at Adam underscore Bushman. And we've got another awesome special edition of the podcast today. Uh, if you tuned in last month towards the, or right after Thanksgiving, we did our first 2023 draft preview with Josh Roberts. And now we're doing our second one now that we're getting into the middle of January. We have Leif Tulin on the podcast today. Uh, he's a jazz broadcast assistant co-host of Locked On NBA Big Board, producer at ESPN 700. Feel really, really lucky to have him on. Leif, thank you so much. Yeah, no problem at all, man. I'm always happy to talk ball, especially when it's in regard to the Jazz. Yeah, it'll be excellent. Um, if you haven't yet, consider watching this uh, episode on YouTube. You'll be able to see Leif and I's faces. I'll be putting up his big board and various uh, stats and things that go along with our discussion, so you might find that useful. And uh, also consider following Leaf on Twitter as well. You'll see his uh, Twitter handle on the YouTube version. And if you're on podcast, his is in the description below. If you like what we're doing, please consider subscribing to the podcast, either on YouTube or your podcast app, uh, giving us a follow on Twitter, leaving a review or comment. Now, without further ado, let's jabber jazz. All right, Leaf, 2023 draft, man. How how early in this process have you been looking at these players? I mean, you're you're on with uh, uh, you're on the NBA big board, so I'm sure you've been checking in on these guys a long ways out. But uh, give me an idea of how long you've been checking in on these players, formulating your opinions. Yeah, so a lot of the top guys we've known will be top guys for a while, and so it's been easier to keep tabs on them because you've known this is Victor Wenbanyama, Scoot Henderson's draft, and then the top AAU program players went to big colleges. And so you know to keep your tabs on them. And some of their, there's there's risers for sure that I've watched less of, but most of the main players I started watching, in the case of Wenbanyama, I discovered him on YouTube when I was like 16 years old. So um, so that, I've been watching him since he's been like 13, uh, just in clips, and then I've been watching games. Um, for the last few years, uh, I watched him play in the FIBA U19s as a 17-year-old, and I watched all but one of the France's games in that. And so he, you know, there's some that I've, you you know, okay, I gotta watch this guy, and it's it's one for enjoyment, and two for evaluation. But for the majority, I think I've I watched a, a, a few AAU games, or at least portions of AAU games, uh, entering this kind of the summer stretch where on NBA Big where we were kind of fishing for content. And you can talk about the best returners only so often uh, yeah. because, you know, that's, that's what we know, the college basketball. Um, so then I would I would do my research and try to make uh, formulate opinions based off AAU and, and learn that. But for the most part, I, I make my assessments from the college basketball season. But I do think there's there's an error in evaluation that some some make. And I've certainly been guilty of it. Um, and it's impossible to not be guilty of it, is you watch someone struggle and you don't consider the circumstances and watch previous tape and see what they're fully capable of doing. And there's a kind of fine balance of recency versus a holistic view. And, and I think sometimes people get too caught up in what they did in AAU and not enough with college and vice versa. I love how you went into your approach and some of the considerations for evaluation. Uh, I kind of consider myself a, a novice evaluating uh, college prospects and, and especially reviewing high school tape. Like, 
I have such a hard time really kind of uh, picking out things that are real insights, um, you know, from that level. I just don't do it so often. And so I appreciate your insight here on the podcast. Um, talk to me a little bit about player archetypes or skills that you've um, started to pay attention to in I guess just a general evaluation process. You know, everybody who does this kind of has, you know, their thing or, or some of the things that pop to them. Um, curious if you can describe a little bit more about your evaluation and, and um, what you kind of look for in those archetypes, skills that may break ties for you in a prospect. Um, I, I can't say there's anything in particular that always stands out, but I think in, for this class in particular, I'm, I'm looking at positional size for wings. Um, and, and I think I did an episode about the Boston Celtics and how they've kind of, their success has changed how NBA draft is conducted at, the, at this point for other teams because they want to emulate getting the Jason Tatums, the Jalen Browns, which, you know, obviously is not easy to do. And they got, they would hit home runs and back-to-back number three picks but they also hit Marcus Smart at number six, and uh, Grant Williams is a unique player. But the point in all of that is that you find players that are able to be versatile defensively, make an impact on one side of the ball, and have the skills, the scoring ability individually to make an impact both in a team setting or in, indiv- or in an individual setting. And obviously in the NBA, there's successful teams is what everyone strives for. Um, there's usually you know, two main scores. So if they're not going to be that, what are they going to contribute to your team? And so I try to look at from that lens where, where I say, how can they contribute to a successful organization? And typically the way I've seen the last few drafts when I've gotten more into this um, has been guys that are plus size wings that are good defensively and have the ability to score, even if that's not their main calling card. And obviously in an era of three point shooting, shooting doesn't hurt if you're tall. Um, but I think that can't be the sole reliance. And for instance, a guy that I was lower on was a guy like Corey Kispert, um, mm. who was older, um, and everyone said he could be a three and D, and he's he's doing fine in Washington. But I but I think that was a pick that I, I thought was too much aligning with the trends and not evaluating the player at hand. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing up that. Hey, just because it's a trend doesn't mean that it's. Um that it's the right pick or, or that because there's alignment there that it's just obvious that that we should go there i kind of think the jazz fell in that trap a little bit picking trey lyles uh back in the day you know everybody you know and i was guilty of it at the time talking about oh we need you know the ability to space the floor at the uh, at that forward position and you know certainly trey had some upside that they were betting on didn't work out but um, but there, there's going to be fads of all sorts, and it's 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 important to to as you said, you know, pick out okay, how can they contribute, you know, without scoring or without having the ball in their hand or without you know being featured on every play and things. Because as as the NBA develops, we're seeing more and more players kind of be heliocentric, you know, they're dominating the ball and they're initiating you know the pick and roll, and a lot of players will just build off an advantage that that one star kind of creates. Yeah, that, and that's exactly the case for, for a lot of these players that I think we're, we're going to talk about in the lottery is even if they're not the star, which many of them can be, they have traits that make them uh, second options, tertiary options, and they can play off of advantage kind of the, the way the NBA is oriented is a pick and roll, swing, um, catch and rip, and, and a lot of these guys have traits that make those 
trends really benefit their games and the teams they play for and the way they they intend to play and obviously each team has different philosophy but there's an overarching um schematic shift in the nba that most teams run the same sets most teams run the same variation of offense very few play kind of traditional basketball back to the basket bigs and and you know that type of stuff it helps prospects know what they need to improve more universally rather than preparing for like one team and their system so let's touch on some of the stars that are headlining this draft really quick. Uh, we know Victor's going number one, Scoot's no- going number two um, in, in a general sense, and, and th- that's how you have it on your board. But what I think I'm more curious with you is how you kind of tier those first handful of prospects. Is it Victor on an island and everybody else, or does, does Scoot you know, own a tier by himself? I wonder if you could just comment your opinion um, on that. Uh, it's weird because the top four on my board don't play college basketball, and that's yeah. what I watch the most. Um, I will say that I think the difference between three and through six is very slim, um, and I do think Scoot has a – I don't want to put a full-on divide between he and three through six, but I would say right now he's in a, in a spot to himself that until I see something that's just really wows me, I think he'll be untouchable at two for a while. But there's a chance that that I change that opinion the more I watch uh, from him that I that, that potentially I don't like, or the more I watch between one of the Thompson twins, Brandon Miller, or Cam Whitmore, that that really appalls me. So um, right now it's Wen Benyama in his own tier, Scoot close behind, um, and then I would say the Thompson twins, Cam Whitmore, and Brandon Miller are in a, a tier of their own three through six. And then I think once you get beyond there. It becomes it becomes a real crapshoot as to what team and and how you foresee their potential if you're a ceiling or if you're a floor person, and, and I think that's for the Jazz that's probably where they're picking. So you got to put faith in Danny Ainge in the front office and and find someone that really benefits the core of the team. Yeah, we're gonna focus most of our time today, kind of uh, in that middle of the pack, uh, towards the the back end of the lottery, since that's where the Jazz are, are likely to have at least one pick. Um, so we'll focus most of our time there. But um, I, I did want to talk about, you know, how how you kind of see the top there shaking out, and a lot has been made about the Thompson twins. I don't think we have to get into it a ton here. Uh, but what I did want to touch on is Brandon Miller. He's a riser across boards this year, having a stellar year at Alabama. And your co-host on NBA Big Board, Rafael Barlow, uh, engaged in, in some pretty big Twitter debate about uh, Brandon Miller a couple days ago. Um, so I guess the question here is, you know, why are so many hesitant to kind of buy into what he's doing and, and rank him at, at least among these guys like Cam Whitmore um, and Keontae George and such? So I'll give you a little backstory. This summer, we were talking about which prospect could go higher yeah. than where they are in their recruiting classes. And the first person that I said was Brandon Miller because you don't see people that are 6'8", six, 6'9", six, willing to defend and can create shots for themselves. And I didn't have too much AAU film to watch. I'd watched maybe half of a game, and it's just hard to gauge. Like, he was just looked better, and everyone said, oh, it's because he's older. And, and I find that to be kind of a tripe comment at this point. It, it, it's almost an excuse when, when it's, you're still a freshman playing college basketball for the first time. Um, so anyway, 
Tony Jones, jazz beat writer for The Athletic, uh, and, and I were talking about Brandon Miller, and he compared me to Paul George. And that's when it really sold me, that I'd already been watching and liked him, and, and, and someone that, that knows the game as well as Tony was kind of telling me, like, yeah, he gets wherever he wants. And, and we were we were discussing this. So then later that week, unbeknownst to me, we, were, we had this podcast where Raphael and I discussed uh, Brandon Miller. And I told him, I was like, man, I think I'm just going to start him in my top five and, and uh, see where he is. And he's exceeded my expectations, and he's still in my top five. Um, so Raphael had him at eight as of maybe a week or two ago. Yeah. And he, he said, you know, this is one I think I'm guilty of nitpicking just because he's so good. I want to see these things improve. And one of my main arguments for him being top five this summer was how many players do you say, hey, like, I don't like his shot selection. I'm going to knock him. Well, my, and I'm, I, like co- I like the tactical, like the coaching side of basketball. So that would irritate me. But uh, I, I compared him to Jason Tatum and Paolo Bancaro in that sense that those were the two players most nitpicked for their shot selection and, and you know, not being flashing their full potential and they're limiting themselves. And my point to that was, well, if they're not flashing their full potential and they're still able to hit these shots, it's, they're only taking them because they can hit them. And if you refine their shot selection, they can be this. And I'm not comparing him to Jason Tatum nor Paolo Bancaro, but the fact that he's, he's got that same skill set as a dilemma um, I thought made him a pretty clear-cut top five candidate, and I, I haven't really wavered there. And, and I know he's going to finish somewhere between three, three and six in my board. And and uh, I I think the reason that people are not liking him to answer your second part of that question, what is that? You see him dependent on jump shooting. You don't see him creating too much going to the paint, and that's his biggest knock because he's not very strong near the rim, and he doesn't finish very well against superior athletes. Um, but but my question to that is how many guys that go play a higher level of basketball really acclimate that quickly and, and finish impressively without putting muscle in their body and kind of ed- to quote Fran Fraschella educate their feet like he he doesn't know how to go toward the rim without being the best athlete in the gym and and I think that's something that'll come so I maybe he's not a Batman maybe he's a Robin maybe he's of the ilk of and, and this is not who I'm actually comparing him to but like could he be a Chris Middleton. Like, does he have the same nitpicking that we talked about with Jabari Smith, uh, where where I actually moved him down on my board to number four because I didn't see him having a Batman chance, and and the other guys I had above last year I, I thought I had a chance to be Batman, and I'm swinging for potential. But, yeah, that's a holistic approach onto how I would view Brandon Miller's skill set is it's super desirable for everything that's modern in the NBA, and he excels at all those things that you desire so nitpicking is why he's frowned upon, and that's why Raphael got pushed uh, pushback. But I think I think his point of you know what I, I I watched it and he's dominating the SEC, which is arguably the best college basketball conference, and he's doing it his way with room to improve. Really, so that solidifies him as a top five prospect. I love that. I love that you pegged. Hey, there's there's no single pathway to becoming a really successful NBA player. And we've seen, you know, numerous players, even just, you know, average, you know, your uh, your complimentary starters, you know, carve out a long career doing things their way. And I also love that you pointed out he's having all this success and you can point to some clear areas where with some serious coaching and uh, some development, you know, in an NBA organization where you could even further confirm and validate that success. So I like those two things. And I just kind of look at his his resume a little bit. Like, he's done what he's done now for nearly half the college basketball season, right? He was also, 
you know, pretty, pretty highly thought of in the recruiting class. Like he was top 10 in the recruiting class. And I get that this, this year, there are guys coming internationally and there's, you know, guys in overtime elite and G league at night, but, but still, even with all the, the, the big name schools, you know, he was, he was recruited in the top 10 and there are plenty of other players that have, have flaws in this group. And so I, I like how you distilled all that. And I know there are a lot of people high on Brandon Miller and, I just think it's warranted at this point. Yeah, Brandon Miller, I mean, Tony and I were joking about it this summer that he'd be my ideal jazz pick. So I, I, I don't mean to shoot down that for jazz fans, but the lottery, the ping pong balls are going to have to bounce in our favor. Yeah, pretty um, pretty favorably. I'd be jumping with joy if there was a chance to draft him. Um, but but yeah, the, this class is deep. The, the whole, like there's star power at the top, but I think there's a lot of players that will be very good NBA players in this class. And so the Jazz have to, and I don't want to say like have to hit in terms of getting like an all-star caliber player. Obviously, that's ideal. But, you know, it's unrealistic. If you're drafting, I don't know, 9 through 15, um, you know, if you look at the numbers, the numbers aren't in your favor. But there are plenty of cases where they are that, that you draft well. And I think this is a good class to have two picks in a you know nine through twenty range, assuming the Timberwolves get better. So let's talk about another big riser, Gigi Jackson of South Carolina. He's rising across tons of big boards, though oddly you see the occasional big board that still has him, you know, in the back end of the teens, which is bizarre. Um, but I guess my question for you is how how high does he rise? You currently have him at seventh. Uh, is there a case that he could? Uh, be competing with uh, Brandon Miller for one of those top five spots? There's definitely a case for it. I think he's, I mean, if, if, if people really subscribe to age, he's the youngest player eligible to be drafted. He would have been a top to five pick likely if he'd come out in his own class. And right now he went to South Carolina, which he was, he was committed to North Carolina, would have had to fight for minutes, play in a kind of a jumbo set front court. And now he's the featured man, even though his efficiency numbers will take a toll in the SEC. Like he went scoreless against a really good Tennessee team, and then he bounced back against Kentucky. Uh, it's, it's really hard for him to be evaluated by numbers, and that's why you have to watch for traits with him. Mm-hmm. And I think the separation he creates at 6'10", the way he runs the floor, the way he can rebound um, – and there's there's a chance you you pick and, and you and you choose a guy like him and, and it's all based on traits and it doesn't solidify, but the fact that he's able to do this at such an uh, advanced level at this young of an age, um, bearing that load, there very few players that that go to these premier schools that have that echelon of recruiting that he has um, carry that much of a load because they're playing with better players. So I think. I view him favorably because of the fact that he's carrying such a load, so his shooting numbers don't bother me. The fact that he, he, he's shooting the three with confidence, and he's not shooting it particularly well, but it looks fine. Um, I believe if you get more open looks and you're not forcing, he can make them. And he creates, and he's 6'10". He's got all the positional size and the athleticism in the world. So long story short there is I don't think he'll end up in the top five, but it wouldn't stun me. Um, I expect him to be gone in the lottery, though. I'd be I'd be pretty stunned if he's not gone in the lottery, and, and certainly if he creeps to like number twenty, like some boards have him there. Um, I, I kind of expect him to go in that seven through fourteen range. 
which is you know prime real estate for what the Jazz anticipate as having at least one pick. Um, there, there's a chance that you know Minnesota is, is turning things around and and uh, you know hits the play-in tournament and you know escapes from from the lottery. Uh, but but you're still looking at at a pretty good range for the Jazz. And, and he's a guy I I I'm really really interested in because I mean you pegged the separation. That's that's one thing that's that's always really really hard to demonstrate at the college level is is generating that separation, and it was eye popping from the very first clip that I saw of Gigi, and then one after another it was like holy cow this guy just is creating all this room and nobody's even close to contesting his jump shot really, um, it's kind of just a matter if he makes it or misses it, and and that's some stuff you can you can coach on and and improve at the next level. Yeah, it's a, there's uncoachable skills. I mean, you can't teach size, athleticism, and coordination, and he's someone that the Jazz shirt certainly I expect to take a long and hard look at uh, if should they have a pick that mirrors his range. So let's talk about Anthony Black a little bit. You know, He's an electric playmaker, and he's getting more opportunities You know, with uh, Nick Smith Jr. having been sidelined. And... Um, he he really is electric and and a really unique player. You and I were talking about it just before you know hitting the record button. But uh, what's what's his true NBA weakness and and what's what's kind of I, I guess keeping him you know really in this kind of mid lottery area. Well, the weakness for him, the swing skill will be how well he shoots it. And he's I had questions about him entering the year, and I actually had him pretty low coming in relative to where uh, some others had him because I didn't trust his half-court athleticism. I've seen all these dunks, and he's tall, and he passes well, and he's taller than people. Yeah. Um, so he's looking over, and I always like uh, jumbo facilitators of, of the ilk of an Anthony Black who can play the point guard, and he's six seven and rangy. And that's something that's the type of player I typically tend to lean toward. But I had questions about how well he can get to the paint, but he's like a walking paint touch. He gets there at will. The question is, can he shoot? And against the NBA, he's going to be less athletic compared to the competition. That doesn't mean he's a bad athlete. It's just the fact of the matter. There's there's an elevation in the caliber of athletes. Um, so the question for him is, can he shoot, and does he play on ball for the team he's drafted to, for? Um, because if he's playing the two guard, I think that makes him more reliant on shooting. And the same question is asked of Osar Thompson. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying they're one-to-one in terms of prospects. But if he's a point guard, he he has upside that is not touched yet. Um, if he's a two guard, then the question about the poor three point shooting really becomes a significant question. So that those are my two concerns, but they they tie into one. It's shooting off the ball, um, and I think you can learn that. You can't teach size and athleticism, but you can teach shooting. Um, he's a guy I've got in my top ten, and I I enjoy watching him. I think he also needs to work on his intermediate touches, his, his floater. And uh, and kind of jump stopping and making decisions, but I mean that's nitpicky. He gets there at will, and he just misses. Like for instance, a guy like Blake Wesley last year got to the rim at will from Notre Dame, and he he didn't finish will, but he was 18. He hadn't played basketball in a uh, at that level in a long time because half of his AAU seasons the last two years were cut short with COVID. So um, contextualizing it, I I really do like Anthony Black as a prospect. He's someone that I would look at if I'm the Jazz and. The other thing is, if they believe in Colin Sexton, jazz specific, obviously, um, Colin Sexton's not a point guard. So Anthony Black could play the point guard, and Sexton could play the two, and they wouldn't sacrifice size. And you, and you really, and to, 
to validate that last point on on Colin, uh, he's really thrived being off ball more recently, and he's really putting up you know career best efficiency, you know by benefiting off of passes on cuts and uh, getting wide open three point shots and operating in in the uh, the, the full court. So it, that that makes a lot of sense. And, and honestly, the Jazz have up to this point, especially in this last era that just ended, uh, have really kind of been defined by, you know, their elite skill at the guard positions, but their underwhelming size in Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley. Uh, and, and we're even seeing that that right now. Mike Conley, Colin Sexton, um, even Nikhil Alexander-Walker is, uh, you know, has, has some size limitations. And so looking at Anthony Black, Cason Wallace, Nick Smith Jr., a lot of these guys have tremendous size, and obviously the Thompson twins. Um, some debates about which one's a wing, which one's a point guard, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of guards here here with size. Um, briefly on Cason on Wallace, I know that Josh Roberts, who we had on last time, is, is a real big fan of Cason. Um, kind of feels like he, he could be you know, representing a lot of, you know, the skills and some of the intangibles of, you know, Mike Conley and Marcus Smart, but like Smart has the size. Uh, anything you'd like to say on Kaysen? Yeah, Kaysen Wallace is often compared to guys like Drew Holiday and Marcus Smart, which are lofty comparisons defensively, but he probably is the best point of attack defender in this class from the college ranks. It's hard to determine how good Osar and Amon Thompson are defensively versus the competition they're playing because they're older and more yeah. mature. Um, so I want to make that clarification that that uh, I need to watch more of Overtime Elite to really discern the athleticism level. But from the college ranks, he's the best point of attack defender um, that's entering this draft. And, and I mean, you could make an argument if you really wanted to, like a guy like Kevin McCuller, who's 23 years old, would be up there. And, and I really do like McCuller. But, but of the guys that are in the first-round conversation yeah. – um, and that's a really valuable thing. That's that's the main attribute the Jazz lacked in their playoff runs of, of late. Uh, it was poor perimeter defense, setting up Rudy Gobert for failure, choosing between stopping a layup or a corner three. Yeah. And uh, and that's that's a really valuable asset in the way the space and pace game right now that is the NBA. So Casey Wallace's question is how well can he shoot the ball? And in but prior to SEC play, he was shooting over 50% from three. I haven't checked it since, but I've watched two of Kentucky's games. And he's been fine, but he's dealing with something in his back right now. Um, the, the thing is, it, his three-point percentage is a bit fluky there. I don't think he's a 50% three-point shooter, but his free throw percentage is really poor. And I think both will regress to the mean, obviously, free yeah. throw getting better, three-point uh, getting a little bit worse. But if he can shoot well at the NBA level, now you have a guy who can play the point guard, can play the two guard, will be a heady player, will be a contributor, and he has a very, very high ceiling. He's a guy that uh, Rafael Barlow and, and I have discussed and said that coaches are going to want the GMs to take, and the GMs may want to take, take a swing for someone with a higher potential, but it's hard to see a higher floor than someone like Casey Wallace, and he could be an instant contributor to a team like the Jazz or, or just about any team, quite frankly, because of his motor and defensive intangibles. Yeah, the Jazz right now are ranked pretty poorly uh, defensively. If you uh, query cleaning the glass, uh, it looks like they're 26th defensively. And uh, I think there are two easy ways to fix that. Uh, first, you start Walker Kessler and, and start uh, you know, seeing a, a lot more lion's share of the minutes going towards you know, a drop big defender who's, who's excellent at protecting the rim. 
but then you also address defense on the guard line where we're small and where um, we, we've had histor historical uh, you know, skill in Mike Conley, but at, but at this point, um, the proficiency is lacking uh, across the board for our guards. The, let's transition to kind of the, this middle of the, of the first round. Uh, and what stuck out to me really surprisingly from your board um, amongst everything we've kind of talked about was Nick Smith Jr. being uh, 11th in, in your board. Um, I don't think I've seen a single board that has him out of the top 10. You have him at 11. Um, he has dealt with the injury, but curious, what's the deal on Nick Smith? My, my question for Nick Smith really is, does he have the athleticism to be a lead guard he can shoot the ball but he typically has done that in a catch and shoot setting at arkansas granted he only has played like three and a half real games there was like two where he was working back into it and uh regardless uh, i watched a little of him in aau and you know it, it, it's hard to gauge athleticism and, and, to, and the ability of the opposition but he he struck me as someone who had good finesse ability but not a true rim threat. He gets the rim, and I don't think he's a true point guard either, so it's hard for me to see you as a lead guard who doesn't pose a threat to get to the rim and finish at the rim. Granted, I, I love floaters. Personally, that's probably my shot of choice, but that's because I'm not fast enough to put the pressure on the rim, and yes. I, I wouldn't choose that if I, if I could. Um, so that's my thing. I think he's a very good touch, finesse finisher, good shooter, not a, a perfect point guard, in that that would rely on that like you'd have to really have incredible vision and passing um to kind of com uh, combine those and make yourself into a top 10 pick and i mean i i'm just not sold entirely on the athleticism and then i'm typically not someone who who's punitive for injuries like i i don't i typically don't drop people but i will say it is a concern that someone's got kind of uh i don't want to say degenerative um knees but but he's he's had preseason knee injury has the same knee being uh, questioned right now, and and it's it's not a good look when you, when your athleticism is so crucial and vital to your stock being elevated. So that would be my rationale. That said, if he comes back in February and is able to play very impressive basketball for a good Arkansas team that really needs shooting, and then he can put pressure on the paint, I'm very open to moving him up. And, and I, I initially started with him higher. It's just when I watched Arkansas, Anthony Black impressed me more. And there were players better than Anthony Black, so I had to just kind of, you know, work my way down the board, and that's where he landed up. Yeah, gotcha. And, and Arkansas, I mean, they're likely, you know, going to be, you know, one of one of the favorites in, in an NCAA tournament, um, given how stacked they are. So, you know, we could see some real extended run if he comes back and gets some, uh, you know, much more film on him. Uh, you know, he, he's a guy that if he slips in the draft – uh, are you happily taking him, or is putting him at 11th kind of just, uh, oh, hey, if he fell to me, I, we kind of have to, but uh, I got the real concerns. So it depends who's available, um, and obviously that's an unfair question to pose back, but, but yeah, yeah. if he's available and, and uh, I think he's, he's you know available to like 16 or something, I, I think it, I'm a best player available fan. I think there's been recent drafts. For instance, I had A.J. Griffin high in my board, and I couldn't believe he kept slipping. And I thought the Hawks got a huge steal a screen taking deal. him at 16. Um, and his, his was a similar issue. He had, he had knee injuries, and he had an injury in high school that, that created his, some of his athleticism to wane. 
but he's an elite best shooter in that class by a mo- wide margin in my mind. So if, if, if you're not that and you're supposed to be a point guard and you have uh, the athleticism waning a little bit already, I do have my concerns. And then as for the Jazz, from a Jazz perspective, I definitely wouldn't rule it out, especially if he comes back in February and, and helps propel Arkansas, who right now is in a bit of a rut. I would, uh, I would, I would look at some of the players with size and sh- that can shoot the ball um, over him, especially if if he's fallen to the second pick that they've got. But you know, best player available, and it's it's too hard to speculate at this point. I once once we get further along, I may have better thoughts about it. Yeah, uh, interesting. You bring up AJ Griffin because I think he was one of the unique cases. Uh, usually, when a pick has a name attached to it suddenly uh, it devalues I thought he was one of the unique cases where as soon as you attach the name um, AJ Griffin to the 16th pick it's like oh okay that was more valuable than the 16th pick was you know just just before the draft so that's kind of uh, yeah interesting. I, I thought AJ Griffin was a comparable prospect to a guy like Benedict Matherin and yeah. and uh, it, it really was unfortunate the timing of his knee injury and the way that scouts viewed it because he was on a final four team he sacrificed individual stats to benefit the team and i think they viewed it as oh he's just spotted spot up shooting because that's all he can do yeah um, and, and you know i think that's his best asset but i think he's got other attributes certainly well now let's talk about some some shooters um we're going to get into the real specialist but the one guy i want to touch on is number 12 on your board jaris walker I hadn't watched a ton of film on him before kind of prepping for our chat today. And it was really impressive how much he created from three himself, catch and shoot three. He got into the mid range um, and, and not just catch and shoot in the mid range, but, you know, dribbling, pulling up, also floating at the rim. And it totally felt like he is confident and has, has the skills, you know, at every range on the court and I was really curious how you have evaluated his defense and athleticism thus far I think his defense and athleticism is the easiest thing to evaluate evaluate so far compared to the competition that he's playing because he stands out on a court you see him and he's he's a hulking presence on the court he's 6'8 245 as a freshman and uh, he can really move he can slide he can rebound and his shooting is a bit of a swing skill, and, and that's often the case with these type of players that you, you value their defense and size. Can they shoot? And he's impressed me against Virginia, who plays a pack line, which means you got to beat him over the top. Um, that was probably arguably his best game, and he really helped Houston win that one in Charlottesville, and that was probably their best win of the season. And he's, and he's accepted a role on a Houston team that doesn't let him showcase what he truly could be. Um, and, and I, I, I haven't thought of this until this moment, but like if he and Gigi Jackson flipped roles, I wonder what Jarese Walker would be. Um, that said, I, I think scouts have seen him at practice. I, I, this is just hearsay. I, I don't know any of this for certain, but they say they see him at practice and he just does things that make them, um, make them drool over his ability and, and what they foresee him as a, as an NBA player. Who's a vital piece to winning basketball. Uh, so my thoughts on him are, I really would love to see him scrimmage or something like that because mm-hmm. Houston plays a style that is very good defensively. They don't get super fast up and down. And I wonder how he'd do in that. And I, I do believe he'll become an adequate NBA shooter. He'll always be able to defend and rebound and use plus size to be fairly switchable. 
Um, yeah, I think he needs to refine some skills, and I think his passing is something we have yet to see, but I remember um, flashes of it in high school. So he's a guy that I've got firmly in my lottery right now. Um, he hasn't had as many splashy games as the next two guys in my lottery who I, I, I really am high on, but I, I remain fairly high on Jarese Walker. I don't know if I'm over the top on him or if I'm just kind of in the average of as to where most people have him, but the consensus is he's a guy who contributes to winning already on a Houston team that's one of the best in the country and should be able to do so at the NBA level. Yeah, sometimes we use the term light or budget to describe a player who's better but or who were to describe a comparison to a clearly better player. So, you know, sometimes we say, "Oh, this guy's Kevin Durant light or budget Kevin Durant." And I I just can't help but think about another prospect we haven't talked about in this episode, but Cam Whitmore, who you have at number 6, and I kind of feel like Jarris Walker is budget Cam Whitmore or Cam Whitmore light, but I'm not exactly sure how how light or how budget um is it 80 percent cam whitmore um or is or am i totally out in the weeds here i think they're different because they're both impressive athletes but cam whitmore is more of like an explosive driver like cam whitmore reminds me a little bit of miles bridges in that sense of where he's got this burst like as soon as he dribbles man like oh boy like watch out and he can shoot and create Jarese Walker is not much as much of the creator for himself that Cam Whitmore is, but he's got some intangibles to winning that I think he and, and Cam possess similarly in terms of the way they can rebound and defend. But I think Cam's just a, a more wiry, springy athlete, whereas Jarese is more of a, a solidly built, like, I, mean, I don't want to make him sound like he can't jump or anything, it's just that Cam is like a one percent type of jumper in the NBA. Like he is extremely explosive, and Jarese is more okay. I'm going to see him in a combine and be impressed, but like Cam, Cam wows you with with his burst. And I heard in a broadcast that if at Villanova they run wind sprints and he's able to lap his teammates by the fifth up and back. Jeez Louise! So so he's really fast and really explosive. I think Jarese is more of like a, a steady, sturdy athlete who who really gets it done. Um, I don't really have any comparisons for him. I, I haven't thought of any yet. But he's he, he's a guy that I think will really impact winning. And I, I'm not comparing them to one another, but like he can defend similar to the way like Grant Williams uses his body and he's positionally able to switch. But he's got more upside on the offensive side than Grant Williams does, in my opinion. All right, so the Jazz are likely to have a pick right here in this 9-13 to 13 range. Who are you shooting for? Like, yes, you have your board here, but your board isn't necessarily where you think they'll go. It's more of how you've assigned value and ranked value. Uh, so given your board and where, how things could shake out, who are you, who's the guy that you're hoping is in that 9 to 13 range the Jazz can, can select with a pick there? Oh, man, that's a really tough question because... One, we don't know how the Jazz roster is going to be by the time by by the time the draft comes around, and two, I think they're all very close. I, I think Anthony Black would be a really interesting one. Casein Wallace fits in right away. Like you mentioned about Nick Smith, I'm just going in order here. Nick Smith is who I have eleven. Um, not Black was nine. Wallace ten. Smith, uh, like I mentioned, I'm a little more hesitant on that. Jarese Walker, I could see fitting 
with the Jazz nicely as someone with positional size and presents a front court face. I've got Jet Howard at 13. He's someone I would rather take if the Jazz could get him at the second pick because I think he's not as good of an athlete as some of these guys. He's an amazing shooter, and I think he's got more wiggle than a guy like Grady Dick. Yeah, we're, um, we're going to him next. I'm, I, will, I will give a little surprise here. I'd like to see the Jazz take either Cason Wallace or Maxwell Lewis. But but I don't, I don't want to be quoted on this down, too far down the road because oh, don't I, worry we will aggregate. Yeah we, we can we can aggregate more information and more opinions and but uh, I'll give the rationale. Cason Wallace is about as safe as you can get. He becomes a plus size point guard who is going to anchor your defense along with Walker Kessler, and he can shoot the ball. And obviously, Anthony Black fits a lot of these same molds, so I think he and Casey Wallace are a bit a bit of a wash there. I'd say both of them. Um, I mean, that's cheating. I was taking three of like the six people that are on the board. And the Maxwell Lewis one is someone we haven't talked about. I just wanted to throw in the conversation. Maxwell Lewis is similar to Jalen Williams from Santa Clara, who went number 12 last year. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's not very well known from the WCC and really excels. He can create for himself playing the point guard. He can be a two guard and really shoot. And I think we haven't seen the best of him off the ball because he shoulders such a brunt of the load for the Pepperdine team he plays for that's pretty porous outside of himself. Um, he has had a few 30-point games. He's able to get to the rim in the WCC seemingly at will based off guile and length. And I think positional size, uh, if he plays the two guard, is excellent. If he plays the one, obviously excellent. And I think he'll be able to shoot better than he even has in college because he'll be less of the focal point. I think we'll see things like his defense isn't that great in college, but I think that's due to um, just the, the offensive load he bores. And I uh, I really do believe that his upside is is hard to hard to calibrate based off watching him play without contextualization. And so I think he'd be a he'd be a guy that the Jazz will be uh, looking at that I don't know if all Jazz fans have on their radar. Yeah, so my homework is to watch some more Maxwell Lewis, uh, especially uh, through the lens that you kind of described. I like the Case and Wallace uh, pick there too, um, because it, it, likely the Jazz are, are transitioning out of this you know smaller guard uh, type approach, and he's a guy who kind of addresses that guard line defense, uh, but then is is steadying and everything else. Anthony Black poses a really, really interesting uh, case there because what has truly been able to unlock Larry Markinen is, is Will Hardy disguising how he flashes to the lane, right? He's setting a pick or he comes off a curl or they're, they're using him as, as, um, as a, I guess, complementary piece. And then all of a sudden he flashes to the lane as a seven-foot um, gazelle and then they're hitting him with these passes, and the defense largely has no choice but to foul. And that has really truly unlocked Lowry. And having a six-seven, you know, elite passer in Anthony Black um, does does pose some really really interesting things um, for potentially helping Lowry continue this development curve. Yeah, Anthony Black, I think, has a higher upside than Casey Wallace. I think Casey Wallace is an easier plug-and-play right Certainly, away. Yeah. Okay, so you, you previewed it. Uh, Jet Howard uh, has really, really come on. I, I mean, we all knew he was a good shooter, but really over the last several weeks, 
he's had some some shooting outings that have really demonstrated his prowess. Um, so let's let's talk about about uh, Chet Howard, kind of versus Grady Dick in a way. Grady Dick kind of came in with the reputation of, oh hey, this guy's gonna be the best shooter in the draft, but Jet Howard's kind of challenging that a little bit. I think most consider Jet to be the better prospect, as you do. Uh, you have him at 13 and Grady Dick at 17. But let's just talk about them a little bit as a shooter, and I find it particularly pertinent because the Jazz have uh, seen uh, sharpshooter Malik Beasley in the rumor mill pretty constantly, especially associated with John Collins. And uh, while Beasley has been fantastic, uh, the Jazz do have a team option on him next year. He's at $16 million, and you, if you're keeping him, you're likely planning to extend him thereafter too. And if he's in these trade rumors, there's at least some... There's at least some speculation about uh, his fit long term. So let's let's talk about Jet and Grady being shooters. What what's how do you analyze that and what's your pick? So I would say that Jet's the better prospect due to athletic ability. He, yeah, he's not a superior athlete in terms of uh, the draft. Like he doesn't match up with some of these guys that are just absurdly good athletes. I mentioned Cam Whitmore. The Thompson twins, Scoot Henderson. Um, I think this is a class that's heavy on athleticism and light on shooting. Um, and Jet Howard and Grady Dick are the two shooters that are wings. I, I, I kind of want to toss in Wenbanyama as that good of a shooter too. Um, oh, but yeah, that's, certainly. That's a take for another time. <laughs> um, Jet Howard has more wiggle to his game than than Grady Dick, and that's why he's a better prospect than Grady Dick, in my opinion, because there's more upside that he can do things other than just catch and shoot. Yeah. Um, for instance. Grady Dick is often compared to Kevin Herter. And Kevin Herter has become someone who's able to create for himself mm -hmm. in a way that I don't think Grady Dick can. Kevin Herter um, is a good upside play for a guy like Grady Dick. I was engaging on Twitter with someone, and they were arguing that he could be a guy like Devin Booker or Tyler Hero. And my, my thoughts on that are I would absolutely love to see it. But you could see those guys had more athleticism and wiggle to their game in a way that Jet Howard has more than Grady Dick. Grady Dick is a is a spot up guy who has size, so it makes it makes up for his lack of absolute half court athleticism with intangibles. Obviously, shooting size and cutting his timing on his cutting is very good, and he's a good passer defensively. He isn't very good. Great um, Jet Howard is not a very good defender yet either, but he presents more capacity to get better because of athletic yeah. qualities and based on this evaluation it's just that he's he's got more guile and wiggle to his game um you, you can see a couple highlights against iowa he's able to cross over a few times and get to the rim shoot a floater um, and he gets into a crossover into a jump shot grady dick is pretty much catch and shoot or catch off the cut and finish and i think both are are very good prospects but that is the delineation between them in my opinion yeah from what I remember of the highlights for Kevin Herter back in Maryland, I, do, I don't remember him creating a lot for himself, but was a really, really good movement shooter, and his size and range just, just made him such a problem. So I think Grady, you know, he kind of fits that, but the Tyler Hero comparison from the highlights I remember of, of Tyler Hero, every other highlight was him getting to the rim. And uh, it was it was usually just off of these drives, 
but uh, but his speed and athleticism there was was very very underrated. And that draft specifically, I was surprised he he fell to the Miami Heat. But um, yeah, Jet Howard. I mean, just if you haven't yet, go go watch some of his recent games. He's been a he's been a really prolific shooter. Yeah, Jet's shooting forty percent from three. Grady Dick is uh, I'm pulling it up right now, shooting forty eight percent from three. And I think that is reminiscent of who's the better shooter. I think Grady Dick is a marginally better shooter, but not by that eight percent. I think he gets better looks and and Jet shoots deeper and and off the dribble ones more frequently than Grady does. But Grady Dick's a really good shooter. He plays. And one thing I want to mention is that he's on arguably the best team in the nation in Kansas. Yeah. And he plays his role to a T. And I think there's a I, I did a podcast a while ago as what type of archetype does better in the NBA the star that's transitioning to a role player the role player in college that turns into a star because they played a role and accepted it or the role player that's that's destined to be a role player and those role players in college obviously are on a very high end team otherwise they wouldn't be role players and that's kind of what I see Grady Dick being I think he's a high end piece in college like he's a, he's probably the best shooter on a good team in college basketball and I think he can be that for an NBA team, and it's a, it's a fitting transition um, for him. And also, the reason that Jeff Jet Howard's higher is right now he's like a, a co-star on Michigan that has the potential to be just a little bit more than a role player in the NBA. I don't see him as an all-star caliber player, but there's a chance he is, and I just haven't seen it yet because they play through a big, and I think playing through Dickinson takes away some of those driving lanes that he may develop, although his pick and roll play so far has left something to be desired for my eye. Yeah, yeah, totally. So the next guy I want to talk about was someone who um, I was a little surprised to see. I haven't, uh, I haven't seen him very rarely in the middle of of the draft on, on many big boards. Baba Miller, uh, Spanish forward, who's uh, at Florida State right now. Um, I actually just sat down today for like 20 minutes and just watched highlights and it was, it was pretty awesome, pretty impressive. Um, I was surprised that I hadn't heard much buzz around Baba and from watching the highlights, I totally see why you have him at 16. Um, you could speak much better to, to what pops for Baba than I can. Uh, what, uh, what is your evaluation of Miller that has him at 16, um, ahead of Grady Dick, uh, right next to uh, Derek Whitehead. So he's an upside play. If, if you draft Baba Miller, I don't think you anticipate he's ready to go right away. But you don't see too many guys that are seven feet that have unbelievable agility, unbelievable ball handling skills at 19 years old. Um, he played in Spain, so that's high-level basketball. Unfortunately, there's a chance that he could be higher or lower if he wasn't really screwed over by the NCAA. Um, they didn't let him play for the first 11 games. Mm. Maybe it was more than that. Maybe it was 16. Anyway, he, he missed significant amount of time, and I think he's been rusty and having a limited role on a poor Seminoles team. And uh, I, I think the real question is how good is he uh, during workouts? Because if a team buys into the athleticism, the touch, the, the coordination at that height, you could have a potential star. And but there's there's a downside too is that he's he's a relative unknown at the college level. He played uh, in professionally and was good, but he was, you know, there there's context to that too. And I can't say I watched a ton of him in Spain, but I watched enough to say, man, I really buy these traits being possible for him being a star. And he's a bit of a swing sh- uh, projection, and you, you know you shoot for the stars with him. And if you miss, 
you hope he turns into a good NBA player. And he's got positional versatility, which is something I value as I opened up this show talking about the Celtics a little bit and uh, how their positional versatility defensively really helps them. Um, so you hope he's a good defender and you hope for offensive upside. And if you hit, you, you may have a star at your hands. And that's the logic behind him. Yeah, the, the passing was really interesting for his size. Um, uh, one of the elements that has allowed for a renaissance of the NBA big man isn't just the shooting, but it's the ability to, uh, to pass. And we, we see that Joel Embiid has developed his passing. Nikola Jokic is arguably the best passer in the league. And what I thought was so fascinating about Miller was his ability to use either hand to pass, uh, especially you know in the full court or when he's going downhill. You know he's he's able to to kick out the passes. Um, and for his size, I, I thought that was pretty pretty darn special. And I think that is a you know something that can unlock offenses, especially if they if they try to space the floor. Having somebody who is who, who is that large and who can operate a little bit and, uh, and pass and especially doesn't need to uh, rely on the point guard to bring the, the ball up. Jazz have really unlocked some things on that front in their offense with Kelly Olynyk uh, being able to bring the ball up right away. Uh, they really rely on him in the half court to distribute too. So those are some things related to the Jazz that kind of have me interested on Miller. Yeah, I, I I definitely consider taking a, a swing on him if he's there for the uh, Minnesota pick, which is likely going to be in that range. Um, there's a lot of good prospects in, in this range, and a guy like Jet Howard or Grady Dick could like uh, easily be there as well. And so you're picking; it's a good problem to have picking between Certainly. guys with solid potential. So I, I I'm curious to see more Baba Miller as he plays more for the Seminoles. So now let's look at the the last 10 on your big board in this first round, your 21 through 30 uh, ranked players in the big board. And what stuck out to me, and I hadn't even realized until looking at this section of the big board, is that Kyle Filipowski, 25th on your big board, he was in the top five recruiting for this year, uh, is on... You know, a really heavy Duke team. You know, a lot of players there. Certainly isn't getting featured to the level of, uh, you know, Gigi Jackson or anything like that. Uh, but most sports still have him in in the lottery, even if it's in the back end of the lottery. I was surprised to see him at 24. What are your thoughts on Kyle Filipowski? Is he really just Frank Kaminsky 2.0, or is there more to plumb there? I wouldn't say he's Frank Kaminsky but I would point out there's very few guys of his stature that end up being very good NBA players. Um, one guy that was, is a very clear op, uh, I'd say, I'd say an uh, anomaly would be DeMontis Sabonis, hmm. uh, someone who's built similarly to Filipowski, but that's because he has just unbelievable skill on the interior. His footwork is sublime and he's a, a, an amazing passer. And he was all of that coming out of Gonzaga. But even then, I think he rose in draft boards to go number 11, I believe. Um, long story short, for Filipowski, I I think he's a better shooter than he's shown from three-point range. I will fully concede that. 
but he's not been a good enough shooter, and he's certainly not a good enough defender to really warrant the lottery pick, in my opinion, because he he may not be getting featured like Gigi Jackson in terms of usage rate, but he is arguably the most featured player, and I, I'd, I'd say I'd say it's pretty likely he's he's got the highest usage rate on any of the Duke players. Um, they share the sugar, but but he's the guy who, who really gets the ball and in isolation situations, and he's able to score. But I haven't been that impressed with the way he does it, and I think the roles in the NBA are slimmer for guys of that size and stature. Can he be a guy like Kelly Olynyk, for instance? Like, yeah. can he emulate being a stretch four, arguably stretch five? But even then, there's only so many Kelly Olynyks, which I would say is kind of like a luxury player. And yes, he's on a rebuilding Jazz team, but but there are most teams that have a guy like Kelly Olynyk are teams that utilize him like the Heat did. That would say he's probably the He's not integral to their success, but he can help it. Um, so I, I just don't see him being as valuable of a commodity in terms of the way that he plays as, I guess, many of people that, that do evaluating like I do. Yeah, and there's a reason why, you know, Kelly Olenek has stuck around in the league but been on, let's see, what, Boston, Miami, Houston, Detroit, Utah, five teams now, and it is, you know, still rumored in other deals. Um, it's that... He's not valuable enough to any single team to be desperate to keep him, but he's just valuable enough for people to think, oh, hey, he, he might be able to fit and do some things for us. So, you know, that's that's really interesting. I'll have to I'll have to check in more on Filipowski. I also saw that um, you had Ryan Rupert here on your on your board, and uh, you know he's a guy uh, for the New Zealand Breakers that I think has been getting more buzz recently. Uh, which is which is good because I think he's a, a good player, but I think generally, especially for the casual draft fan, um, kind of a little bit of an unknown. Can you give some insight into uh, Ryan Rupert and uh, and some of what you've seen from him? He's a very young, athletic, defensively oriented wing that his jump shot finet uh it looks good pixel by pixel but it takes forever it, it, it is it is an ugly jump shot to my my standard but if you were to look at form picture by picture it's pretty textbook um so shooting is really what he needs to work on but he's got extraordinary defensive upside he's got a seven foot three wingspan uh, he can really defend really jump uh, if for I'm all likened to him, him to a college basketball player, he reminds me of Andre Jackson, but younger, and just has to similar to Andre Jackson, who is one of my favorite players in college basketball, um, due to his athleticism and, and unselfishness. Um, he just needs to work on his jump shot and learning how to impact the game more than just on defense. Um, so that's that's really the synopsis on him. I haven't watched as much of him as I have every other prospect. Um, just because it's hard to watch games from New Zealand and Australia. But uh, he's someone that I'll have my eye on more closely once it comes closer to draft time and see what he can do from an individual standpoint offensively. Yeah, yeah, there's going to be, you know, big, big time shuffles here at the end of the the first round and into the uh, probably all throughout the second round. You know, anybody who's, you know, in middle of the second round, you know, d- depending on how you view the prospect, could could jump into that latter first round. Um, another guy on here that's pretty interesting, uh, given some of the discourse um, that we've seen on Twitter, is Chris Murray, brother of Keegan Murray, who went 
to the Sacramento Kings fourth overall in last year's draft. Uh, you currently have him 23rd on your big board, uh, Chris Murray out of Iowa. Uh, most, I think, have him right there uh, in the high teens, uh, low to mid 20s uh, on Chris Murray. And uh, just recently, a stats comparison for how, you know, Chris and Keegan were able to uh, get their shots. Um, had them as had some similarities, but then some other differences where Keegan shined or or Chris shined. Uh, what's your what's your read on Chris Murray? I think a lot of people would say, oh hey, Keegan went fourth last year, and we have Chris Murray here, you know, towards the latter end of the first round. Uh, does that speak to the strength of this draft as opposed to last draft, um, or is it in large part that? Uh, that there's something about Chris Murray that uh, that isn't quite popping as it did with Keegan. I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, Chris Murray is a mature floor spacing, bigger wing. Um, and, and, and that's what he can be. He'll rebound. He'll hit open shots. I think he'll be a high level spacer for years, but he doesn't have the, this athleticism or pop that you, you see in all these kind of some more younger enticing prospects. And I think his age is playing against him, but I don't think it should. Honestly, if I were to do my board again, and I, and I will in a few weeks, I, I expect him to move up. The more I watch Iowa, there's subtlety to what he does, but it's just so obvious what role he'll play in the NBA is he won't be a guy who demands the ball. He'll hit open shots. He'll defend within the concept of a team defense, and he'll he'll be intelligent. And so I think what knowing what you're going to get by that point of the draft is, is a – is a luxury. So I, I, I think he will probably move up to the late teens. Um, and, and I'm pretty high on him. Like, I, I don't know if I'm pretty high on him relative to everyone else, but I think there's a very clear role for him. Yeah. So the jazz are likely to have a pick right there in between 26 and 30, something around there, uh, with how well Brooklyn has played and um, and how you know Philadelphia seems to continue to figure things out and then run into new problems. They're still going to be really good. So who are you looking to target at the back end of this, this draft? Assuming the Jazz keep the pick, um, who would be your guy in that range? And again, like there's there can be a lot of shuffle here, but but who's the guy in that range that, that you would like for for the Jazz. We probably just have to assume that the exact team we have right now. Um, but uh, but who would you probably pick? Yeah, at this point in the draft, I'm not really picking for fit anyway. I, I'm picking on purely upside. I'm taking a swing, yeah. swing projection here. Uh, maybe a guy like Leonard Miller from G League Ignite, who was a lot of people on Twitter really liked him last year, and then he played in the Combine and got embarrassed, quite frankly. like He just wasn't ready to play at that level with everyone else. Um, but he's taking a step forward. He's a lanky, ball-handling forward who's got the size to be a power forward and the coordination to be a, a guy who can be at least a secondary creator. Um, and, and so someone like him would stand out. A guy like Taylor Hendricks or Chris Murray could be floor-spacing bigs. With uh, uh, Hendricks is a bit more athletic than Murray, but they they fill the same same need of being a floor-spacing big. And those are some guys I would look at. Um, a guy that intrigues me would be someone named City Sissoko, who's a very good athlete who cuts on the G League Ignite. He's, he's thriving as a cutter, and he's got decent shooting skills. They're not great, but I think they can be uh, turned into something of a positive. So I, I'd go for high upside at the end of the first round. 
it always fell on the uh, Quinn Snyder teams that uh, that two things the team was kind of allergic: uh, forcing turnovers and cutting. And fortunately, with these with these Hardy teams, it seems that uh, there's much more an emphasis on those two activities. So uh, you know, City that that uh, that poses some real intrigue. So now that we've kind of talked about the whole draft, this is a jazz podcast after all. So I just wanted to give you a second to comment your thoughts on the season. It's been a really exciting season, um, some ups and downs, but uh, but really a treat for us. You know, kind of expecting not much coming into the year. So uh, just give me your thoughts on the young guys, uh, the future, uh, where you think this team team might lean. You know, at this uh, you know really kind of a pivotal point uh, as the trade deadline approaches. Honestly, I think it's as great of a success as it could have been. I think obviously getting out to the number one seed briefly was unsustainable, but it was awesome. It got the fans involved, and and even working for the team, you could feel a buzz, uh, and you you could really it was palpable. Like the energy was awesome. It was very different from last year, where it felt like um, the fan base was disappointed, even though the team was significantly better this year. Even though the team's not close to as good as it was last year, there's more hope surrounding the team. Uh, here are the success stories and, and, and why this matters. Lowry Markkinen becoming an all-star candidate was not expected in the deal. You, you thought there was he could be better than what he was. He came out as the number seven pick, and he showed flashes. He had one really good year in Chicago, and maybe one and a half really good years and one and a half that were, uh, you know, you scratch your head at. Then he goes to Cleveland, and, and you know, he's, he's fine, but he's playing out of position. But that could have been one of the best things that happened in his career because it made him more diverse of a weapon. Goes and plays for Finland's really balling out, gets traded to the Jazz. Everyone else knows the rest of the story. He's been awesome. You you didn't expect that in that trade. So you're, you're not winning a trade where you give up Donovan Mitchell, who's become a borderline, a pseudo MVP candidate. He's not quite there, but my goodness, has he been amazing. Um, and then you get a guy like Ochag Baji in that deal who's, who's really shown flashes of late. But the second storyline is not Agbaje, it's the other rookie, it's Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler is a franchise center. that You don't expect that at the number 22 pick in the draft. Someone you trade for because the Timberwolves had taken him, and you didn't know that that was going to be your pick regardless. In fact, it would be difficult to project that would have been the pick had they had it, considering even if Gobert had been traded. He's exceeded every expectation for everyone in the entire world would be lying oh, yeah. to you if they said, oh, I expected this from Walker Kessler. Myself included, I was pretty low on him. Um, he comes in, he dominates. So now you have two franchise pieces, and now you, you, you're primed with draft picks in a very good draft class. You have young players such as Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Ochag Baji, Colin Sexton, and, and they, they present uh, supporting cast pieces that could be possible on a contending team. And now you just want to hit, uh, hit on a pick and continue to um, really develop these younger players, get better, and I think through the trade deadline, there's something to be excited about. And my final thought would be, say the Jazz were to get a guy like John Collins. That's someone who really finishes well around the basket, has averaged 18 and 10 in the NBA, is a bit disgruntled. He doesn't fit great in, in Atlanta because of the fact that they have players that fit both of his skills better than he does. Capella's a better rim runner than Collins, and DeAndre Hunter's a better shooter than Collins, but Collins is is a, a four in between them if, if he can be harnessed in a way that Lowry Markin was I have up I have belief that his upside is going to be higher than what we've seen as a disgruntled uh, player on the Hawks and I think Will Hardy can really tap into that so I would love to make that move and continue to develop the youth around Markin Kessler John Collins and even without that uh, even barring zero trades happening 
I'm still optimistic going forward. So I think this jazz season's been an an absolute success. Like, and that's not just speaking and promulgating the brand that I work for, but I, I genuinely believe that. Yeah, well said and agreed on a, on all counts. Uh, fantastic season. It's really been a treat. You know, I I do lean a little more on the side of, hey, I I, I think we're we'll be better off increasing our our lottery pick um, so that we're dependent on fewer teams to to find you know a great player but either way the jazz lean i'm just having a ton of fun and uh, and it's really been a treat for us this year Well, Leif, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, would you like to plug any of the other content that uh, you got coming out? Uh, you know, you're a co-host on NBA Big Board. So tell us about some of the other projects and things you'd like to plug. Uh, sure. Yeah. First off, thanks for having me on. I'm always, like I said at the beginning, I'm always happy to talk about basketball, especially when it's about the jazz and the draft, two things I really love. Um, another thing I really love is college basketball, which helps me educate my opinions on the draft. And I, I do a podcast for fun. I get very few listeners and I don't blame you guys for it because it's a very niche subject I I kind of talk about college basketball I, pro, I pre- preview conferences I do things like rank coaches or and, and teams in, in different funny ways it's called the college hoops hive um, I'm starting that up so if you want to listen to that and otherwise just kind of follow follow me on Twitter it's my name l-e-i-f-t-h-u-l-i-n and um, yeah just keep your eyes peeled for content there and I'm more than happy to engage on Twitter as well so uh thanks for having me on and and yeah if you guys want to listen to more more of me i'm I'm all for it but um if not i am more than happy to still engage on twitter and and just be jazz fans together well thanks again so much and uh as is customary to the jabber jazz podcast we're going to leave you all with some sounds of jazz (laughs) 